this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, uh, university was my time of most spiritual formation. I went to Western. Um, not sure if there's any Western grads here, but um, it used to be called University of Western Ontario, and they took the Ontario away, and um, so now I'm left without a school name. And I, um, I attended Asian Christian Fellowship on campus, and that was uh, some of the most, uh, the great experience I've had in my years as a Christian. And before I would say I'm a lukewarm Christian, and uh, it was during those university years when I really dedicated myself to the study of God's word and committed myself to the church, to his people. And, and the reason for my later ministry among uh, university students, especially international students, was quite simple. It was derived from that time when somebody has invested into my life. And I, my reasoning was quite simple as well. I, I saw those leaders who had um, taught me, who had uh, Bible studied with me, who had mentored me, uh, who took me out to lunch, and uh, just poured their life into me. So I wanted to do that for somebody else. And so as I began to work, as I began in my career, I just devoted myself to uh, campus ministry and invest in my time and, uh, and grow to help others grow spiritually in their walk with God. So in the verse that we take a look at today, uh, it is my prayer that we can learn from this letter that Paul has sent to Timothy and to remember the faith that has been committed to us so that we may be encouraged to pass it on to others. If you have a Bible, uh, continue to have it open. And uh, as we continue to read the scriptures, in chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, now, as it is custom to Paul's letters, uh, he usually begins with his own instruction, introductions and the intended recipient of the letter. And this time, of course, is Timothy. And it is probably the last of Paul's letters. And the circumstances surrounding this letter can be said to be dire, to say the least. Now, early uh, church tradition tell us that Paul was martyred during Nero's era of persecution. And so in Rome, that was around uh, AD, uh, 64 AD. And shortly before he died, um, during some of the most intense uh, persecutions, uh, the story goes that he was beheaded in Rome. And he was also imprisoned before that. And so he sent this second letter to Timothy as his execution seems to be imminent. He's awaiting his trial, and um, the outlook is not good. So he's writing under that shadow of a premise. So in contrast to Paul's early letters, we see that it is personal and filled with intense emotion. And it is surrounded by this theme of remembrance and reminiscence, that he often remembers the time that he had with Timothy. Uh, right off the bat, we see that he remembers Timothy's tears. And it was the time when they were together that he most reminisces about. So this letter is the passing of the mantle, if you will, and we often remember a person's life and legacy during a funeral. Now this letter is not quite Paul's eulogy, but it has come quite close to it. It is his last will and testament 
as an apostle. And thus he writes to his beloved son, Timothy, in a tone of remembrance. Now again, as it is customary in Paul's letters, after the opening statement, he often begins with thanksgiving. And so today is thanksgiving, and uh, this weekend is Thanksgiving weekend, so it is only right in our custom to do that. So in verse 3 to 5 it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. We notice that Paul's thanksgiving is centered around his remembrance. For Paul, it was his habit to pray for Timothy and all, all the churches night and day. And so he writes that as well. Since we're reading his last will and testament, he reminisces about two things about Timothy. First, he remembers his tears. And second is Timothy's faith. The tears most likely refer to the last time that they were together. Uh, they saw each other and had to part ways because Timothy had to uh, remain in Ephesus to deal with the matters at the church while Paul made his way to Macedonia. And with that, Paul also expresses one of his main intentions of the letter is for Timothy to quickly wrap up what he's doing in Ephesus and join him where he is because he knows his time is drawing near. So take care of your task at hand and come to me. He longs to see his spiritual son so he may be filled with joy one last time. Now the second thing he remembers about Timothy is his sincere faith. As the text tells us, a faith that first dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and now dwells in him. Now Timothy, uh, this character should be familiar with most of us as he is mentioned in almost all of Pauline's letters except three of them. He is often portrayed as a young man, uh, somewhat timid, uh, somewhat weak uh, in terms of health at least, and often needing Paul's encouragement and guidance, uh, way more than Titus. There's two books to Timothy and only one book to Titus. But truth to be told, um, as someone who can carry out Paul's mission across the churches, uh, across the entire Europe, in churches like Thessalonica, in Corinth, those are some really tricky situations. Timothy couldn't have been that timid. Uh, he couldn't have lacked that much strength. He was a key messenger who can actually interpret to the churches Paul's letters. In those days, the literacy is not high, so when a messenger sends a letter, you often have to send his messenger along with it in order so that they can interpret the letters to the recipients. And Tim that was often Timothy's job as a pastor, as a messenger, to teach from Paul's letters. And so this is often his pastoral task as well. So he performs that task as if Paul was there present with them. And more importantly, because Timothy has been a frequent traveling companion with Paul, and he's a close friend and confidant, so he had this genuine faith that Paul sees in him the same genuine faith that is in himself, so that he is faithful in all the things that he is doing. Now, this word sincere uh, could also be translated as without pretense or genuine. Paul found in Timothy someone 
who was equally committed to Christ as he was, who was equally committed to the commission of Christ as he was, and committed to Christ's churches as he was. And furthermore, this genuine faith has been in Timothy's family. Now, I understand in the English congregation, uh, you guys have been reading through the book of Acts uh, on almost to the end, am I right? And so, in Acts 16, uh, it tells us that Timothy was born in a godly home. Now, his father was Greek, and his mother Eunice is Jewish. It is most likely, when Paul is referring to this, ge this generational faith that has been in the entire family, it was probably because they were converted around the same time in the, to the Christ movement. So, but one thing is for sure, Timothy was raised in a godly home with biblical teachings. And so along came Paul, who then had taught them the ways of Christ and had invested his life uh, in Timothy and built up his faith, discipling and equipping him for Christian ministry. And I want to quickly stop here and do a quick survey, as it is most awkward for a first-time speaker to do a survey among the congregation, but I'm going to do it anyway. So um, how many of you... Um, are first-generation Christian, meaning that you're the only one in your family who believes in Christ. If you can put up your hand with me. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Uh, how many of you, uh, your parents are Christians, and you are as well? If you can put up your hands. Oh, there's a lot more. So keep your hand raised, please, and only put your hand down, uh, or keep your hand up if your grandparents are also Christians. There's quite still a number of you. So you may put your hand down. Thank you for participating in that and humor me. So you can probably understand, uh, along with Timothy, how that generation of faith has been at work in your family because you witness it on a daily basis. And Timothy witnessed that on a daily basis as well. So he was raised in such a godly home and his faith, his own genuine faith, has been inextricably bound to his family. And this is why also that Paul is reminding him to fan into flames the gift of God. It says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So when Timothy was converted and Paul had given him this dedication and also commission him to do God's work. And so because this genuine faith is residing in him through the lineage of his family and through Paul's preaching and discipline, Timothy ought to use those gifts that God has given him. And notice this is Paul's third usage of a word that has to do with remembrance. So he used remember, and he says, I remind you. He remembers Timothy's tears, says, I remind you now, to fan into flame the gift of God. <coughs> so, now the phrase fan into flame is such a common Christian faith that uh, it almost borders on cliche for us. So what does it actually mean? The phrase is usually used as a metaphor for rekindling a fire that is dying. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that Timothy is at a stage where his faith is dying but it does mean to encourage him to boldly proclaim and use the, faith, use the gift that God has given him and let it burn even brighter. Now this past summer, I had the uh, privilege to go camping. 
uh, as I'm sure is a favorite pastime of Canadians. And this is my only second year going camping, so I was already a pro, right? And uh, so it was my job, obviously, to start the campfire, as um, you know, my wife doesn't want to get uh, smoke in his hair. So when I tried to start the campfire on the first night, uh, it, was, it was all good. Uh, the fire started, the kids got their marshmallows, they were able to roast them, it was great. And then on the second night, uh, my head was getting a little bit bigger. So I was thinking, maybe I could start an even bigger fire. Uh, not a forest fire, not that big, but <laughs> you know, uh, just at the campsite. So uh, I just want to make it grand, want to make it bigger. So we got a lot of wood and a lot of logs, and uh, not really realizing that I'm still really relatively new to this. So on the second night, I placed some of the twigs and the small logs. I started the fire with the papers, and um, you know the fire started burning, and some of the logs started catching on fire. So immediately, I put in more logs to try to make more catch on fire. Okay, and I try to pile them on. As some of you are smiling at me, you probably know what happens. Did the fire get bigger? No, the fire started dying down. And, and that, was, that was weird to me. I thought more wood means more fire, right? But it doesn't necessarily. And I saw this, uh, I immediately pulled up YouTube as, uh, as one would during a campsite <laughs> to try to look for expertise in starting fires. And uh, I realized that fires requires two components, not just fuel, but also oxygen. So what I did was drowning out the oxygen on the fire and made it die down. So immediately I got some of the logs out and I started fanning the little flame, the little embers that are still left there, and, and, and then it started to catch on fire again. So what was the moral of that story? Was this just a was this just how stupid I was in, 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 during a camping trip? No. So when Paul is asking Timothy to fan into flames his gifts, we often have this um, convoluted idea that, you know, when, we, when we're asking God for gifts, we, we only ask God for more gifts, as if more gifts will allow us to use it more. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. Paul is asking for Timothy to fan into flames the gift that it already has. It's not to add more gifts onto it, but it's to let the existing gifts breathe, let it have air, let it receive oxygen, let it has that catalyst behavior so that it can catch on fire, it can burn even brighter. So that's often how our life, when God has given us gifts as well, how that works. So instead of asking for more gifts, asking for more of what God could give you, we should let it breathe. We should let it soar. Uh, we should use them for God's purposes. And then God bestows greater effects on those gifts. Now Paul says this gift was given through laying of hands. Uh, the laying of hands could refer to when Timothy came to believe in Christ or um, when he received his ordination as a minister. Um, we don't really have a way of pinpointing exactly what Paul is referring to here. But what we do know is that he was referring to a time when Paul had guided Timothy in his spiritual progress and a time when Timothy received the gifts necessary for the work ahead. Now, I believe as Christians, we have all been imparted 
with various gifts of the Spirit. Now, the key is not to obtain more gifts, but to use them according to their God-given purpose. It is not enough for our faith to just be genuine, to have the right belief. Uh, that is important, but that we cannot stop there. We must then use that faith, use that gift that God has given us for God's work. Now, as uh, one of my university uh, counselors, which I often refer back to, uh, he said to us this one time, he says, God's gifts are to you, not for you. Did everyone catch that? God's gifts are to you and not for you. And he would follow up with the sentence, they're for me. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. So when God gives us gifts, it's not, it's not for us. The, the purpose is not simply for our own edification. It is for the body of Christ and for those who don't know Christ. But it has been given to us so that we can give to others. And I believe that is what Paul is talking about here as well. So now we know how we ought to use the gift of the Spirit. What characteristics does the Spirit impart in us? In other words, how should we use these gifts? And Paul comes with a threefold quality of power, love, and self-control. In verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now notice in particular the previous gift God has given to Timothy was singular, God's gift to you. Now when speaking of characteristics, God given us, plural, and the subject changes to all of us. The spirit is given to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. This spirit is characterized by a fearlessness, by power, love, and self-control. Timothy was not only called to be faithful, but also he is called to be fearless. So he is called to be faithful and to be fearless. The spirit imparts power so that we not need to be afraid. Because he is a spirit of love, our motivation for using these gifts are out of our love for others, not for self-glory. And because he is a spirit of self-control, we must use these gifts with restraint and reverence. Even though his mother and grandmother taught him the scriptures, Paul led him to Christ and brought him along in his missions and his ministries and taught him and discipled him and trained him, Timothy must stir up this usage of the gift himself and use them according to God's given purposes. We too have received this gift of God and gift of faith. We have been entrusted from many of your parents from your grandparents, and even further generations on, on, this, on this faith that has been entrusted into our hands. It may be from our parents, it may be from our friends, it may be from our teachers. There are many ways that we have come to know Christ, and it is through the help of those who have been in our lives. No matter how much or how little we think we may have, God will supply the power when we're facing oppositions on the outside, and when we're facing temptations on the inside. He produces love in us to serve others so that we may lead some to repentance. He gives us self-control so our actions and our thinking may be level-headed. So that during times when there are outside pressures and oppressions, that we can face those tough times so that it doesn't distract us and detract us from the work that God has given us to do. Oftentimes, as Christians, we will face tough times and circumstances. It is during that time we will do well to look back and remember 
those who have passed on the faith to us. It would, do us, it would do our soul a lot of good to always think of those who have invested our lives and poured their lives into our lives and built us into the character that we are today. So this is my, um, I don't often speak in English uh, or preach in English for that matter. And so this is my second time actually this year preaching in English. Uh, the previous one was at, a, at another church. That was going to be a, a story that I'll share at the end. But every time I speak in English or I preach in English, something in my brain happens, and immediately my mode goes back to a time when I was in ACF. Uh, it's so weird something just happens like that. But something clicks in me, and I feel like I'm among my ACF brethren and sisters, which, um, you know, as Asian Christian Fellowship, we're, we're probably as Asian as you can get. And so when God strengthened us, he often uses those memories. He often uses those factors of remembrance that give us the tools and the courage and the conviction necessary to keep moving forward. So it would be a good time often if we're feeling down, if we're feeling distracted, if we're feeling not ourselves, to, to try to remember those who have passed their faith onto us. But to do this, uh, we would also need God's grace. So in chapter 2, jumping into chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, while we were saved by grace through faith, this grace is also in the sphere in which we operate, in which we use God's gift. Paul encouraged Timothy to stand in the grace that he has received and be strengthened. It is not a call to Timothy to sort of pump himself up, uh, pull himself up by his own bootstraps or anything like that, or just get yourself together, be strong. It's not some motivational speech. Rather, he's exhorting Timothy to rely on the same grace by which he has received Christ to also strengthen himself in his mental, in his spiritual, and physical fortitude. So not only are we to be faithful, not only are we to be fearless, but also we have to have fortitude. And that is the third point which Paul brings to Timothy. As people gifted by God to work for his purpose, we're not only to be faithful, but we have to be fortified in the grace that Christ has given us. It is only through the daily empowerment that God has given us can Timothy fan, fan into flame his gift. We find resources for God's work not in our own strength, but in Christ. This is available to all who trust in him. We find resources for God's work, not in our own strength, but in Christ. This is available to all who trust in him. Now Paul gets to the key objective of almost the entire letter of what he wants Timothy to accomplish that would require the unique strength that can be only delivered through the grace of Christ. In verse 2 he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, there are two things we can draw from this famous verse. Uh, first is Paul's description of the content that Timothy must deliver or that he must, must pass on. These are the things that Timothy have heard from Paul in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, being a, a faithful servant, must pass these teachings on without altering them without changing them. They are God's spoken word through his servants, through the apostles, 
and so one must resist any attempt to change or alter the message. But at the same time, Paul understands that the message is not only to be entrusted to Timothy, but that he envisions a four-stage process. So if you think with me uh, on how these four stages played out, Paul receives his revelation from Christ, that's the first stage, and he passes on to Timothy, which is the second stage, and he now exhorts Timothy to entrust it to other faithful men who can deliver that to others also, which is the third and fourth stage. Was that clear, or was that becoming more confusing? I'm not trying to hold a math lesson on a Sunday morning. That would be cruel. Um, but if you can follow along these four stages, you'll notice that the four parties that are involved, and as each are passing on their faith to the next. So Paul, being a visionary, he understands the message is bigger than himself and even bigger than his relationship with Timothy. It is the picture of how we are to set up in advance the gospel message to be passed on throughout the generations. Now, there are two defining characteristics that Paul says Timothy should look for when choosing someone to pass the message on to, and these are faithfulness and competence. They are to be entrusted to not alter the message, but also they must be capable of delivering the message in its entirety, holistically. So we are to do more than just preserving the truth, as mentioned before. It is not just enough to have sincere and genuine faith that we have know that we have preserved the truth for ourselves, but also we have to pass that on to others faithfully. And in a broader sense, uh, this whole idea, uh, if I could go meta for a second, if this whole idea of passing on to the next generations is one of the key reasons why we have the New Testament today. Because of this passing on to the next generations, the first apostles, they realized as they were dying off that they, need, they needed to get something down so the next generations can have the same faith that they had when they were following Christ. Because they saw Christ in his flesh and saw the risen Christ, that they must write this down so that the next generations can receive the same faith. So that's why we receive one of the most celebrated directives of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Paul was faithful to that command, to that commission, and he was able to entrust it to Timothy. Now it is Timothy's turn to entrust the same message to other followers of Christ. Let me just share one last story, and I will be through. A few months ago, I was invited uh, by a longtime friend to preach at his church that he's pastoring. He's pastoring at the English congregation there. And that was the second time this year which I preached in English. Now, we knew each other back at the time when I was heavily involved in student ministry. And we have this, uh, I don't know how many of you know Campus Challenge. Uh, maybe some of you went uh, when you were in university. But uh, in the Mandarin side, we have something similar. It's called Campus Builders. And that was when uh, most of the student leaders from across campuses all over Ontario would get together and would have a retreat. And during that one retreat, um, I was actually a counselor and also a small group leader. So I had a lot of ministry uh, activities and duties to do. So, but during that time, uh, God was working in my heart and also among all the student leaders. So on Saturday night, 
um, quite unusually, uh, the speaker, the preacher, actually issued an altar call for full-time ministry, um, which uh, wasn't often that we did that. So, and I responded to the call to full-time ministry that night. And um, the, the leader or the coordinator of the event, he actually ended up taking a picture of everybody on stage that responded to the call so that he would have photographic evidence <laughs> of us going back on our words, um, which didn't work out for me, as you can see, uh, I, uh, or did work out for God, and um, I, I'm standing here before you today. And so that began a journey that led me into full-time ministry. And he also, the pastor that invited me, he also responded around the same time, not at the same retreat. As I looked through the photographic evidence, I didn't find him there. But he, he uh, answered God's call because he was, my he was in my small group at that time. And so every time I go to preach at his uh, church, he would always introduce me as uh, Pastor Lay, who was my small group leader uh, during campus, re uh, campus retreats. And so he always remembered that I was his small group leader. And even though I, I can't for the life of me remember what I did to him or for him uh, during, during that retreat, but uh, apparently it left a lasting impression on him in his journey and faith uh, walking with Christ. But as I was preaching this time, uh, this wasn't the only time that I preached in this church, as I was preaching this time, I noticed a couple in the audience uh, right around that area. And that looked really familiar to me. So when the service was over, I, I went over to chat with the, with the pastor, and then I saw uh, with, uh, with my uh, peripheral vision that the couple came by to say hi. They were wearing masks. And then I realized that they were my small group leaders at ACF back in when I was in university. And uh, the husband actually was a one-time president of our fellowship that one year. They were some of the people who encouraged me in my spiritual journey. And now they're sitting down there listening to me preaching. And uh, they're being pastored by somebody who I had invested my time uh, into as well. So as we were standing there and chatting, um, you know, reminiscing about some of the old times and how we knew each other, this uh, interesting six degrees of separation, something dawned on me was that the person that had invested in my life would encourage me to pour my life into the university students is now being led and pastored by somebody who I help spiritually. And during this time, all three of us were simply trying to faithfully pass on the message that we have been given and pass on the way that the faith has been entrusted to us and to entrust to others. And now all three of us are beneficiaries of that action. Uh, so I, I, after that, after that meet, brief meeting, I called it the circle of entrusting. And that's what I like to call that. Obviously, this experience is quite unique as it was a special blessing for each of us to see and witness how we have been entrusted and we're also done the entrusting um, of the gospel message and pass it on to others. But I believe if we stay faithful to the work that God has given us, if we see how God works wonderfully among his people, that we may see maybe some fruit of our labor through him. Now the four-stage process mentioned by Paul, it doesn't need to take a very long time. It might come sooner than we expect. Maybe at the next baptism class. Maybe at, at, maybe at the next CE class. You will end up sitting under someone who you previously taught or 
who were taught by somebody that you previously, previously taught. How many times can we remember a time when we're sitting under a pastor who we taught in Sunday school? That would be a blessing, wouldn't it? So we can be faithful with the gifts that God has given us so that we can teach others about Christ. You might not feel like you're a Paul, or maybe you're not, you might even identify with Timothy as, uh, as maybe timid or weak as he was. But for sure we can end up teaching others about Christ, no matter how much or little gift that we may think we have. And soon enough, you might find the ones who were the others um, who were, that you have helped ends up being somebody else's Paul and Timothy. So let us remember that faith has been entrusted to us. Let us fan into flame the gift that God has given us with power, love, and self-control. Let us be strengthened by God's grace to entrust the same faith to others who are also faithful and capable so that we may continue to pass on this faith that has lasted for generations. This is God's word.